Hi, so um, just a little disclaimer, you may have noticed that this episode, episode 8, was posted before episode 7, and that is because we haven't managed to record episode 7 yet. I am waiting for our guest on that episode, who is my aunt, to be able to film with us, and that's taking a little longer than any of us thought, but I didn't want to like go a really long time without posting an episode, so that's why. Yeah, enjoy the episode. Thank you for listening. Hello, and welcome back to episode eight of the High Schooler's Guide to Psychology. I am joined, as always, by my co-host. Please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Kate. Thank you. Um, Kate, do you know what today's episode is about? You told me yesterday. I did tell you yesterday. Um, and it's not the history one. No. Well, is it? I'm not sure which That's history one, one you're Nick referring to. be on. No, he wanted to be on psychological warfare. <laughs> oh, so this one is the one where it's like little backstory, mini biographies of people. It is. Today's See, episode is a little weird. Um, instead of talking about one specific topic, I decided I wanted to introduce some of the people and experiments that gave us the information we know about today. And also, I've referenced a lot of these is people. Is it Freud? Are we talking about Freud? We might. Um, I don't I, like Freud because he's right too often. <laughs> Oedipus complex who? I actually, I wrote that on my English exam because she had a little meme no, of Hamlet. so many of the, like, books. And I was like, wow, really, guys? Really? No, because on the first page of our English midterm, mi- our teacher had a meme and it said, when Hamlet kisses his mom and it was oh, like a shocked face. Oh my gosh, that so, made me so, so uncomfortable. Because that, that was in the movie we watched. So I wrote on the, t- I'm like, Oedipus complex? I wrote that on the first page of the text test right before I turned it in. Anyway, like I was saying, I, I reference a lot of these people in, either in this epi- either in previous episodes or in future episodes, and also just like all the stuff that they did with their lives is really interesting. Um, so I'm gonna break this into maybe two or three episodes. I was thinking maybe every eight episodes, so like episode eight, episode sixteen, episode twenty four, etc. You know, like that. Um, That's a weird way to split things up. Like most people just go by like five, ten. Okay, like eight. That is the most. Okay, no, no, no. So I divided my episodes up before, like back in sophomore year. I'm a senior now. It's Christmas Eve, also. Hi guys, Uh, Christmas Eve, 2021. It's also been a a whole year since the last time we recorded audio for. Has it? It it really has. Oh my. So I I divided my episodes up sophomore year, and I um put aside episode eight for famous figures and case studies. I'm like, oh, that would be a cute little short episode. No. This episode is really long. I haven't actually oh. finished writing it. Um, as of right now. As of right now. When we're filming it. When we're filming it. Um, because I decided after I got really bored researching biographies for like a <laughs> month. I would too. I was like, you know what? No, I'm going to move on. I'm going to do episode nine. So I was like, you know what? We'll, we'll make it multiple episodes. So this was going to be famous figures and case studies. But today it is just famous figures because I did not do any case study research. So that's okay with me. Don't worry, but I really just don't mind. So I, I think episode sixteen will be uh, case studies, and then we'll go back to figures for twenty four and case studies again for thirty two. How many case studies are there? There's not as many as figures. You can take a look if you want. Uh, I'm good. I don't have many. I was gonna find more. You really don't have to show me, but it's okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> 
So yeah, that is the little this little disclaimer for this episode. It's gonna be all little biographies about people who I personally found super interesting. Um, if I talk for a really long time about someone, just know I found them more interesting than people I spend maybe five minutes on. But that is all personal opinion, and this is my podcast. I can do what I want. Anyway, we are moving on. We are we are finally starting. Four minutes in. It's actually a pretty short intro. We should. Do you want to make a longer intro? How would we make it longer? Should I tell them what I'm working on? But we can just like talk about our lives. I don't know. All right. Well, I feel like this Christmas podcast hasn't Eve. been. Yeah, I said that. Um, and we're all really excited for Christmas. Our aunt was here this morning. Oh my gosh, that was so fun. You oh, might. We she solved Hunt to Kill. Not sponsored. We got it from a different podcast, Morbid Podcast. Everyone go listen. Absolutely fantastic podcast. I love it so much. But we got Hunt to Killer, and we almost solved it after six months good job our aunt was here this morning and she was actually on episode seven which we haven't recorded yet <laughs> little little eight before seven moment we also did two before one that might be a theme on this podcast anyway she's going to be on episode seven which hopefully you've already listened to so you know who i'm talking about um mouse was here but she left and kate is crocheting it's Christmas break, which is lovely. I actually don't have a lot of homework. I don't have any, haha. Last time we recorded, I was really stressed out about college applications, but I've applied everywhere, so... Me too. Oh my gosh, I've gotten into four schools already. I've gotten into two, and I got deferred from Harvard. I got deferred from a school. I got rejected for one, but that, we, we don't need to talk about that. I'm actually really proud of myself for the Harvard thing. I was not unconfident, but not like confident, you know, because it's like really hard to get into. But I got accepted into University of St. Andrews and University of Glasgow. Uh, Both of those are in Scotland. Um, If you know me in real life, you know, I'm like fascinated with Scotland. I love all the castles over there. And also the like access to other parts of Europe. I'd really like to do a lot of travel and study abroad. She's going to go to Scotland and then she's going to take the bus to Paris. And then she's going to send me all the cute Paris thrift store clothes. And I'll be really excited about it because I want to be a fashion icon. Yeah, and I would really like to be, like, I just like to travel a lot, and I want to see a lot of the world before I, like, settle down and, like, have a career. And I've mean, already seen a lot of I know, but I'd like to do it on my own terms, if that makes sense. That makes sense. Can I go with you? Sure. When you're, like, super, like, rich, can I just, like, tag along? If you'd like. Because I am going to art school, and everyone knows that you can't make money that way. But um, I did apply to a lot of schools in the continental U.S., so don't worry, I might not be leaving. They're all in, like, the Northeast, and I live in Texas right now, and everyone is like, you're going to be so cold, and it's like, yeah, but it's okay, I'll get over it. Like, oh my gosh, I can so live in Boston. I can do that. Oh my gosh, and I walk outside, and it's like 60 degrees. I'm like, that's so cold. (laughs) So to do this episode, yes, we're finally beginning, don't worry. Um, I was going to give Kate the list of figures and let her choose. Um, I don't know how many you want to do. Let me count really quickly. 13 biographies written I think that's too many so I'm gonna let you choose um the number well I think we should do like seven okay we'll do seven and you can choose which seven oh I get to pick well I'll read them out or you can turn the screen let's see make a mental note Willem Wendolt Sigmund Freud Mary Kackens Calkins Kurt Lewis Lewin, Jean Piaget, Piaget, or Piaget. We actually talked about him before, and I made the Carl, same Piaget, Piaget. Anyway, Carl Rogers, Eric, Eric, Eric Erickson. That's such a fun name. Oh my gosh. 
it on purpose. It'd be like one of us naming our kid Philip Phillips. <laughs> BF Skinny Skinners. BF Skinner. Aaron Beck. Albert Bandura. Ivan Pavlov. Like the Pavlov effect. It's like Pavlov dogs, yeah. Mary Ainsworth. Ainsworth, I think. Margaret Washburn. All right. I think that we should do Eric Erickson. Okay. Ivan Pavlov. Okay. Um, Mary, Margaret, and Mary. All three of them? Yeah. Okay. Okay, that's five. Two more. Okay, six. What was, who's the six? Uh, who did I say? Kurt Lewin. Kurt Lewin. And Willem Will, Willendolt. William Wendt. Wilhelm. His name is Wilhelm Wolf. Oh, Wilhelm Wendt. Okay. Sorry, I'm dyslexic. I'm trying really hard. The official list for this episode is Wilhelm Wundt, uh, Mary Calkins, Eric Erickson, Ivan Pavlov, Mary Ainsworth, Margaret Washburn, and Kurt Lewin. Not necessarily in that order. All right, here we go. We're starting, officially starting. We're going to start with Wilhelm Wundt because that was the first person that came up. Oh, and I put a little disclaimer at the beginning of this episode. Um, I All of these biographies are pretty much entirely from Wikipedia. Because Whoa, Wikipedia. that is the they extent of the research. They ask me for money every time I go on their website. I feel bad because I use too, it so I much. I can't give them money. And I don't have a credit card. Anyway, we're starting now. Wilhelm Wendt. Do you want to take a guess what he did? Um, um... Well, his name is really fun, so I'm guessing something cool, because that's like a cool name. Like, you have to do something cool if your name is Wilhelm Wundt. Is that your guess? Something cool? Yeah, something cool and fun. Just something like, ooh, how neat. All right. Um, He did do something cool. He is actually the founder of modern psychology. Oh, I do remember you saying that. As well as the father of experimental psychology. Cool. So he was the first person to actually call himself a psychologist. And he distinguished psychology from biology. A distinguished gentleman. And philosophy. So psychology used to be a part of um, biology and philosophy. And he differentiated psychology from biology and philosophy. As someone who has taken both philosophy and psychology, I mean, both philosophy and biology, thank you. Because those two do not belong together. Um, I guess psychology would be that intersection, though. Sure. Um, if you'll remember from episode one, we say everything psychological is biological, and then a lot of psychological debates, like the dualism-materialism debate, actually falls into the philosophy sphere as well. We talked about that in my philosophy class. Sounds like everything's connected. So do you want to guess where he was from, just based off his name? Okay, so I'm basing this entirely off the Young Royals, where the oh, main guy's <laughs> name is Wilhelm, right? So I'm like... Sweden? Somewhere in Europe, like Northern it is Europe. Europe. It is Northern Europe. Like, not not Germany. Like, Sweden, Norway. Is it Germany? It is Germany. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, he, he was German. Um, he was a German psychologist and philosopher, not a biologist, in the late 1800s and early 1900s. And he actually had the first laboratory dedicated to psychological research. If you remember, I said he was the father of experimental psychology. Um... Oh, then I was just going on into a tangent about biology and psychology. Like squeaking down the patch. 
probably. Okay. <laughs> um, so William Wendt worked with Helmholtz, um, if you'll remember from episode two, as a psychologist and a physicist, and he wrote the very first psychology textbook, which was called The Principles of Physiological Psychology. So he had the first laboratory dedicated to psychological research, and he worked with tools such as pendulums, chronoscopes, electrical devices, timers, and sensory mapping devices. Oh, sensory mapping. What's that? Like the tongue thing? It might be a homunculus. I thought oh. um, I thought it was cool that he used a pendulum because I use those to talk to ghosts. Oh my gosh, no. I found out recently that people find it surprising that I'm into witchy stuff. I don't find it surprising, but that's because I I grew up with you, I think. I was like in my mock trial class. I'm like, guys, do you want me to read your tarot cards? And they're all like, you read tarot cards? I'm like, yeah. Don't um, worry, Ava, I think you give off witchy energy. Thank you, Kate. Um, and finally, for William Wendt, his work mainly focused on memory, process theory, the delineation of categories, physiological parallelism, apparition, the development of the theory of the mind, critical realism, and the very definition of psychology. So he helped us to define what psychology actually is, which is pretty cool. That is cool. Okay, next we are talking about Mary Culkins. I love Mary Culkins, first and foremost. Her and Mary Ainsworth, I think, but mainly Mary Culkins are my icons. They're who I strive to be in the world. I'm a Mary Culkins fangirl first and a human second. All right. So now that that's <laughs> now that you know where I stand on our queen. Um, okay, so she was a psychologist and a philosopher. After this, I wrote literally an icon. I wish I could be her. Um, I'm I just took a philosophy class and I'm about to take my very first psychology class ever. <laughs> um, but it's on it's on developmental. It's like child development, which is not what I'm interested in. That is the only one my all girls school offers something I'll be mad at until the day I die. Why does it matter that it's an all-girls school? Because the boys' school has AP psychology, and they have, like, a bunch of other psychologies, but the only thing offered at an all-girls Catholic establishment is child development psychology. What does that tell you about gender roles? Anyway. Maybe it's just the only one I can find a teacher for. No, we could totally have AP psychology. Like, it is not that Can you use an option to go take it at another school? No, they don't let you because we have a psychology course. Oh, my gosh. That's so rude. It is. It's making me so mad. You should petition the school. Be like, hey. Yes. For for my second semester, senior year, I will petition so people after me can go take AP psychology. Like, no, that is not worth my time. And I'm cutting that out because that is the not, not the generous spirited thing to say. So, Mary Calkins, psychologist and philosopher, icon, wish that were me. She taught at at Wellesley College, Wellesley? Anyway, she taught at Wellesley College, and she focused mainly on dreams and memory, which are two of my favorite topics in psychology. I wrote, dude, I want to be her so bad, y'all don't understand. I do. I want to be Mary Calkins. That's how I feel about Zendaya. Fair enough. (laughs) Um... She was the first female president of both of the APAs. Which I was like, female president? We haven't had one of them. No, we have not. Of both of the APAs, there are two. There's the American Psychological Association and the American Philosophical Association. So she was the first female president of both queen Big icon. We stan Mary Calkins. Um, she's the eldest of five children and reportedly close with her family. 
I'm the oldest of four children, plus Kate, we are co-eldest. Because we're twins, identical, if you didn't know that little fun fact, I'm not her annoying younger sister, contrary to what you might believe. We do actually have my little brother on sometimes. I almost said annoying little brother, but we actually get along. Um, I'm also close with my family. I think this is just my application to be the new Mary Culkins, so I'll move on. Um, She lived in Massachusetts, which is where I want to go to college and where I was born. She graduated from Smith College with a degree in philosophy and the classics. Um, I've always wanted to study the classics in college. I feel like every- That sounds so nerdy, I'm sorry. I feel like every bullet point I'm going to follow with like, I do this too. I want to be just- I finally read A Secret History, speaking of classic students, and oh my god, this is so good. It made me want to be a classic student even more. So I digress. Um, She traveled abroad to study the Greek classics, and then she returned to be a Greek teacher. I also want to study abroad. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Although not not in Greece. I want to study abroad in Spain because I want to be fluent in Spanish. Um, Say something in Spanish, Ava. Yo no sé que yo debo hablar. Anyway, she was soon offered a position of psychology teacher under the contingency that she studied psychology for one year. So she hadn't studied psychology up until this point, but people were like, you know what, Miss Calkins, you should study psychology. You should study psychology, and then you should be a psychology teacher. So she only had to study it for one year, and then she was allowed to teach it. I've been studying psychology for like two years now on my own. Just saying. Um, here you are teaching it. Good for you. Oh my god, you're so right. You're just like her, Ava. Thank you. Um, she decided to study at Harvard because it was close to her home and had laboratory settings because, you know, those are the only requirements you need for studying at Harvard. Um, I got deferred. Um, <laughs> <laughs> however, they didn't admit women at the time, so she was only able to observe lectures. Do you think Harvard would let me observe lectures? Like, do you think I could be like, oh, I'm not a student. I'm just here to observe. You, do you think they would fly today? No. Yeah, me neither. She took classes taught by William James, who I've taught about before, and she was heavily inspired by him. He is um, one of the other fathers of modern psychology. We just talked about William Wilhelm Wendt. William James is the other one. She learned and taught psychology for many years and published a lot of papers, including, including works on association and dreams. And she specialized in memory. And she also developed what is called self-psychology. So here are some of the things she said about the self. She said, the self is undefinable. Every person is totally unique. And this was very controversial for the time because a lot of the psychology around the, about the self was like sort of generalizing humanity, you know, like Freud and the Oedipus complex and everything talking about like what all humans do. But she was saying it's undefinable and totally unique. Um, she also studied consciousness from a philosophical and psychological perspective. So she sort of took two different stances on consciousness, which I thought was really cool. We talked about conscious um, both on this podcast and in my philosophy class. So um, there's a lot of overlap between the two. But um, conscious is seen more as a scientific thing in the psychology realm. Like, what is it exactly? We said it's like stream of consciousness doesn't exist. A lot of stuff like that. Um, I think it exists. Okay, Kate. Um, but it was like episode three. And then but who am I to say? <laughs> and then in my philosophy class, we talked about consciousness as like, um, where is it located in your body? Like, what does it do? Um, what is like, what organs are responsible for it? You know, like the whole mind body problem is how we address that. But anyway, um, and she thought making someone think introspectively would help in multiple aspects of life. So 
um, she thought um, like people like looking inwards and like thinking about themselves would help them just with their everyday life. You know, be Sounds more like it would be more self-aware. I guess was her philosophy. She's ranked twelfth on a list for the top fifty psychologists, and she actually did a lot of social justice work for women. So she was a suffragist, queen, icon. We stand. Um, she is the moment. She is the moment. Um, her study of dreams focused mainly on the connections between dreams and the waking world. So why people have dreams, how they act after their dreams. Um, so to study this, she would have people wake themselves up throughout the night and record their dreams immediately. And guess what? Her work was cited by Freud. She also said that dreams have no hidden meaning, which is a supported theory by several studies. So, I think so after after studying dreams, she was like, no. These are just, like, we talked about dreams a lot in episode three, but she decided that there is no, like, subconscious trying to break through and tell you something about I the future. I think that's not true. It's more fun to believe. Okay, sure. But this is, like, a scientific theory. Well, I, think, I don't like this science. So, TLDR, Mary Calkins is my new role model. Old role model. She's been my role model, as I specified. And also, quite possibly, one of my favorite people. And that is where I am leaving it as a Mary Culkin's girl. Thank you. So we finished uh, William Wendt, Wilhelm Wundt and Mary Culkin's. So we are moving on to Kurt Lewin. Do you want to guess where Kurt Lewin is from? America. No. Britain. No. Where? He's also German. Are they all German? I feel like psychology was a big thing in Germany. I'm not sure about the facts behind that statement or if i am to be trusted with that with that if you should trust me on that but personally i think you should take anything anyone says on this podcast with like a scoop of salt (laughs) i would agree with that okay so he was german he was born in 1890 and he is the father of social applied and organizational psychology And I mentioned this earlier, but I want to be an industrial organizational psychologist. So he had um, three lenses, lens, lenses of analysis for his research. And those were applied research, action research, and group communication. Group communication. Yeah, and in all my research of what it is to be an industrial organizational psychologist, or like what classes colleges offer on that course, it's all about like intergroup dynamics. And so group organization is a big thing in industrial organizational psychology or just, yeah, industrial organizational psychology slash organizational psychology. Um, And he was actually the first person to study group dynamics and organizational psychology. So that was pretty cool. Um, Organizational psychology, specifically industrial organizational psychology, is actually largely under like researched and underdeveloped in the U.S. specifically. Like, we don't know a whole lot about it. Like, most of the people who work as IO psychologists are working in research. Um, anyway, so um, that's just, like, a little interesting that, um, I don't know, early 1900s is when it was founded, and, like, we still don't know a whole lot about it. He studied biology in college, but shifted his interest pretty quickly to philosophy and took a, major- and took a majority of psychology classes pretty quickly. As he should, though, low-key king, like, Philosophy is always better than biology. Is it? I liked biology. I was fine with biology. I liked chemistry better, and I liked uh, philosophy better than both of them. 
but biology was better slash it's better than physics so I liked physics. um so yeah he was biology and then shifted to philosophy and psychology um mood um so just like mary calkins he joined socialist and women's rights movements so he was a suffrage i wouldn't say suffragette because i think that's a women's term suffrager suffrager um but he he was involved in women's rights movements and um so that was that's a pretty king move of him um bare minimum in my opinion the bar is on the ground but he walked over it which is better than a lot of people um this was the early 1900s though so Uh, it was it was a pretty big deal that he was like involved in the women's rights movement because not a lot of men were at the time so maybe let's say the bar was like waist level and he was able to hop over it good for him good for him but today it is the bare minimum but we do still stand we are we are proud of kurt lewin for being a feminist so Kurt Lewin fought for Germany in World War One, which is it's important to differentiate not World War Two. He was not a Nazi. Um, I, I should hope not. I actually don't know where Germany stood during World War One. What was World War One about? I don't remember. It was like some archduke got assassinated. Oh yeah. And then all yeah. the alliances kicked in. So it was like oh, yeah, some I small dispute, but like all there's like a bunch of alliances. Um, but he was Jewish, so he moved to America during World War II. Um, and he was associ- he was associated with the Behavioral School of Psychology. And then, like most really smart people, he became a college professor and lectured on philosophy and psychology. Good for him. And um, he actually talked a lot about the nature versus nurture debate, which we've addressed on this podcast before. And he said, neither nature nor nurture alone can account for a person's behavior or identity. So where do you stand on the nature versus nurture debate? Do you well, agree with Kurt Lewin? Well, obviously, the two of us, we have the same DNA. So and that's we, nature. We are very similar. So I think it does account for some of it, but we're also different. Like, we've got different noses and different faces and well, different I think interests it's, and I think different it's personalities. Like, so I think that. But we did. It's grow behavior up and same... identity, not appearance. Oh, well, we grew <laughs> up in the same household, which is also nurture. Like mm-hmm. we had very similar growing up circumstances. Yeah. And the same DNA. Yeah, but we're not the same. But we're not the same. We just sometimes say things at the same time, which apparently is creepy. Yeah, I didn't know. I, was, I just like, oh, it just happens. I'm just like, yeah, haha, and our friends are like. Ah. I mean, they're like, I hate when you do that. I'm like, like, do what? You're the one who decided to be friends with twins. Like, Like, it's not a big deal. Like, what? Anyway, um, nature versus nurture debate. I agree with Kurt Lewin. I think neither can can, like, attest for everything. But personally, I do think nurture has more to do with it than nature. Yeah, because a lot of serial killers have really messed up family lives. No, they all have the serial killer gene, Kate, like Betty Cooper from Riverdale. <laughs> no. I have not seen Riverdale since freshman year. I am but I Blossom, queen of, of the, the bees. bees. But I did see a, a clip of it on TikTok, and now I'm like, maybe I should get back into Riverdale. So that's it for Kurt Lewin is uh, Nature versus Nurture the world wars etc so we are moving on um now we are talking about eric erickson um do you want to guess where he's from kate eric's town 
<laughs> Eric Stone. Um, I'll give you a hint. It's quite common, apparently. Germany. <laughs> yeah. He's another Jewish-German psychologist from the early 1900s. Did you, like, just, like, filter your results? No, what I did was is it, I... was like, listed by, like, country? No, what I did is I googled, like, the top 20 influential psychologists. Are you sure it wasn't sorted by country? I am certain, because I looked up the whole list, and I wrote them all down. <laughs> so, we're talking about all of them. And this is not in order because you chose randomly. I think you just chose all the German ones on purpose. Well, I picked the ones with the cool names. Maybe Germans just have the best names, like Momiji. Momiji <laughs> is Japanese. I don't think he's ever been to Germany. He just talks with that silly little accent because <laughs> he wants to be special. <laughs> okay. All right. So, yeah. so Eric Erikson, another Jewish German psychologist from the early 1900s. He was born in 1902. Um, so he was born 101 years before we were. That's almost a perfect 100. He lived in 1994. So he was a psychologist and a psychoanalyst. And he was most known for his theory on psychological development. And he coined the term identity crisis. Oh, I don't get those that often because I know who I am, but I do have them sometimes and they're stressful. Thank you for sharing, Kate. Um, he was a professor at many notable establishments, such as Harvard, UCLA, <laughs> UCLA and Yale. Um, at the time, all of these were on my college list, but I actually only ended up applying to Harvard. I took UCLA. Harvard? I took UCLA and Yale off. I applied to UCLA. Um, however, he actually never went to college, and he got a bachelor's degree, like, or got a bachelor's degree. So yeah, he never went to college or got a bachelor's degree, but he wasn't able to teach at all of those colleges. What requirements did you need to be a professor? I have no clue. One year of schooling, maybe. Self-research. Um, he was encouraged to, st- to study how to be a psychoanalyst by Freud's daughter, Anna Freud. And he specialized in child analysis. And he was actually one of the original creators of ego psychology, which... um. Ego is the servant of the id, and that goes back to Freud. So we're going to talk about ego and id um, probably in episode 16 or episode 24. Um, But those were, like, Freud's theories about, like, the self and, like, what controls your behavior and all of that. So he, like, um, he was a big researcher into ego psychology. And he did the problem for each stage of development. And I'm going to talk about this in episode 12, which I am writing right now. I was actually working on it this morning. So the problem for each stage of development is like basically what the big thing is for like your your age range. When you were telling me about this, Kate, you have to get married between 19 and 40. That is not what I said. Or else you'll be very sad for the rest of your life. I said you need to find fulfilling relationships. You're like, you better work on that in college, Kate. And like, Ava, chill. I have friends. Kate is projecting right now. I am I not believe projecting. that's what this is called. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to talk about the problem for each stage of development, like what that theory is, how it like manifests itself in your life. But basically, just like as an overview, I will briefly list what each problem or like central theme of each stage of development is right now. There are eight. Um, so there is hope and basic trust versus basic mistrust. That's like infancy. Um, can you trust your caregivers, etc.? 
there's will and autonomy versus shame. So that's like toddler era. Like, can you choose to play your own games? Like what you do with your time or are you going to get in trouble for what you choose to do? Um, purpose and initiative versus guilt. This is sort of the same thing. It's like also toddler, like young childhood. Competence and industry versus um, inferiority. Then there's fidelity and identity versus role confusion. So that goes back to identity crisis. Like, do you know what you're doing with your life? Um, then there's love and intimacy versus isolation. That's what Kate was just talking about, like finding close and meaningful friendships and relationships with your friends and family. Um, then there is care and generativity versus stagnation. And then there's also the final stage is wisdom and ego, wisdom and ego integrity versus despair. And that is like a midlife crisis. That's from age. Wait, no, no, no. Generativity and stagnation is midlife crisis. Ego integrity versus despair is like 65 until the person dies. And that is like looking back and thinking, did I live a fulfilling life? So anyway, if that sounds interesting at all to you, make sure to listen to episode 12 when it's up. I said listen to episode 10, but it is not episode 10. It is episode 12 because I actually added a lot of episodes while I was researching. And that is also the end of Eric Erickson. What do you think of Eric Erickson? Did he live up to his fun name? Sure. Sure. Alrighty, so now at 18 minutes, we are talking about Ivan Pavlov. The Pavlov effect, where you ring a bell and then your cat wants food. Do you know anything about Pavlov, Kate? Yes, the <laughs> Pavlov effect. Do you know where you make a noise and then give your cat food, and then the cat's like, wow, when I hear this noise, I get food. So they like run over to you when, when you like ring the bell or whatever. I also saw, like, a Tumblr post where someone did this. Someone they had a crush on with, like, chewing gum. Yeah. Do you know where he's from? Pavlov. Okay. Um. Yeah. But there's, like, a dessert stay. called, like, a Pavlov or something, right? Pavlova. Um. So, Germany, Britain, France, or Greece? Wrong on all accounts. <laughs> Pavlov, I believe, is our only Russian psychologist on this ah, list. And, Russian. Of and, course there's a Russian. <laughs> and he is mainly known for his work in classical conditioning, like the Pavlovian dog experiment. Um, so, yeah, Kate just explained the Pavlovian dog, dog experiment. That was this guy. But with a cat, because I'm a cat person. What with a cat. So he was supposed to have a religious career, but oh. abandoned it for science, mainly physics and math. So he is the 24th most cited psychologist, which is pretty cool. People talk about his work a lot. Is Freud the first? I think he might be. Um, Pavlov is actually really famous. Even if you don't know a lot about psychology, you've probably heard of him and his experiments. Yeah. Um, it's referenced a lot, even in just like fiction. Um, and he was the first Russian to win the Nobel Prize. He won it in physiology and medicine. So there's just some Jeopardy trivia for you. I think Worst Jeopardy name. was canceled. Was it? I'm not sure. I know the host just retired slash died. I don't know. I did not follow that news story very carefully. Um. So yeah, he had ten brothers and sisters, and he ten. ten. So there were eleven of them. There were eleven, and he was the oldest of them all. That must have um, sucked. So just like Mary Calkins, he was the eldest sibling of a lot of siblings. Imagine being the oldest of ten. No, I just, I'd be like, okay, I'm out. Thanks. Enjoy. That would, I would not be happy with that. 
Um, and due to an injury, um, he was unable to begin formal education until he was 11 years old, a uh, Hogwarts student moment. Um, and the injury was he fell from a wall onto the pavement a below. Wall. We call that a Humpty Dumpty moment. No, if I don't make fun of him, that's so sad. <laughs> this poor guy, a wall. A wall. I'm not sure how high it was. Onto the pavement. Onto the pavement. I did a Ouch. similar thing at age five from a ladder onto tile. Maybe that's why we're different. Oh, that, you know, it might be. Maybe Nature. my concussion messed me up. Nurture. Nurture. Yes, nurture. Oh um, my gosh. Anyway, um, in college, he studied uh, physics and math. I said that earlier. He was supposed to have a religious career, but went to physics and math. Um, but he was mostly gifted in natural science and won money awards for his work in natural science, despite studying. Many awards or money awards? Many. I mean, it might be both. Financial compensation. And he was awarded the Imperial, he attended, sorry, he then attended the Imperial Academy for Medical Surgery, where he was rewarded again for his work in research. So he was an award-winning, like, scientist in his day in Russia. Good for him. And after completing his doctorate, he began to study digestion in dogs. Wow. So he didn't start as a psychologist, and he didn't start in classical conditioning. He started by studying the digestion, so that's, like, how he was feeding them. Like, why he, like, started working in dogs. But while he was working with the dogs, he eventually noticed that the dogs would begin to salivate before they were even fed, or, like, before they were, like, the food was even presented to them. Um, this this would become ex an experiment known as the Pavlovian dogs. Basically, the dogs would begin to associate the sound of a buzzer before they were even fed uh, and the sight of the technician who fed them with the stimuli of being fed. So they associate all these things that happened with mealtime with being fed. And I actually see that in my own dog. His name is Mo. He's a cutie pie. But whenever I go into the laundry room, like before I even open the, like his food container, I'm like, okay, Mo Bear, time for dinner. He'll, like, already be, like, jumping up and down and, like, drooling. And he's like, oh, my God, I'm about to get food. Even though I've made no motion, even though he hasn't seen or smelled or even eaten the food yet, he's already so excited. He's That's so cute. cute. I love him so much. And then through John Watson and B.F. Skinner, his ideas of conditioning became a popular part of psychology. So his, like, this was, like, the rudimentary research into classical conditioning. And then these other psychologies, like, expanded on him. And for fun facts, he grew potatoes and carrots in his lab as a hobby. Like, that's just some, like, little quirky thing he did. That's so cute. And he didn't harm any animals. He once wrote that he would not even sacrifice the hind leg of a frog for the purpose of science. And I respect him so much for that. And I feel the exact same way. We are moving on to Mary Ainsworth and Margaret Washburn. And those are the last two of this episode. Oh, did you choose Melanie? I don't think so. Did I? Klein. No, you did Mary and Margaret, I think. Yeah. So, that will conclude this episode after we get through these two. All right, so Mary Ainsworth. Do you want to guess where she's from? Germany. It's not Germany. Britain. It's not Britain. America. Yes, partially. She's an American-Canadian developmental psychologist. And she is known for her work in attachment theory, which is also episode, which is episode 11. I was about to say also episode 12, but that's actually the first half of that little episode series I did, and it's episode 11. 
Um, and she developed this strange situation procedure in order to observe early emotional attachment between children and their primary caregiver. Um, fun fact, she was born in Glendale, which reminds me of that TikTok sound. This is not the land, this is Glendale. Thank you for demonstrating, Kate. She was, like many people on this list, an oldest sibling. Do you want to guess how many sisters she had? Six. No. Five. No. Four. No. Three. No. Two. Yes. She had two younger sisters, so she's the oldest of three siblings. Um, her parents were both well educated and they expected their children to have an academics to have academic success as well. And she was very good at school, fortunately for her, and she decided to become a psychologist at the age of fifteen after reading The Character and Conduct of Life by William McDougalls. So, fun fact, I decided to become a psychologist at age 13, so get wrecked, Mary Ainsworth. I'm 18 now, so that's been um, about five years of wanting to study psychology, which is a little crazy. So, she began college at the University of Toronto. and Kate, oh, I applied there. Yeah, Kate applied there. And she started there when she was 16, um, and she graduated with a doctorate 10 years later in 1939 at the age of 26. And her dissertation for her doctorate had a lot to do with attachment theory, and it was how people who don't have a secure family life don't have a secure base on which, on top of which to build their own life and are therefore handicapped. Um, and I'm going to get into attachment theory a lot in episode 11, like a lot, um, but basically a secure attachment comes when you have a secure family life, like when people, like when you know you can depend on people around them and like be emotionally open with them and stuff like that. So if you don't have that, if you don't have a secure attachment style, the way you form relationships with other people is, like, sort of handicapped. It's, like, been drawn back. So it's, like, you can't do it, like, super functionally, if that makes sense. That's sad. Yeah. Um, And she then, after graduating with her doctorate, she became a teacher at the University of Toronto, but then joined the Army after a few years. Thank you for your wonderful insight, I'm really Kate. Tired of the army. That's pretty pretty cray cray. Um <laughs> <laughs> Thank the military you for gets insight, too Kate. much money, they should take it and give it to agriculture and education. We are not talking about that. More than fifty percent of the budget. What? For what? We're Oh my gosh, it gets on my nerves. Can you believe it? And they're having to cut music and art from schools while the military gets more than 50% of the budget. All right, so political rant aside, um, she was an army examiner who did clinical evaluations and personal assessments for the army. So she's like the army psychologist. Good for her. She's not actually like in, in the army. Um, and she was eventually promoted to advisor to the director of personal selection for the Canadian Women's Army Corps. Oh, the Canadian Army? That's much better. <laughs> I'm a loyal American citizen. I'm not going to commit treason. If we go to war, are they going to pull this up to arrest me? Um, what? <laughs> I, I don't, I'm, personally, I don't think anyone from the government is going to listen to this and be like, <gasps> treason! They yeah. might. You're going to get put on a little hit list like from Hannah. Oh, no. Um, so after World War II, she returned to the University of Toronto as a teacher and eventually married a psychology graduate student. So while she was a teacher, she married a graduate student. 
little iffy. Yeah, a little iffy, but whatever. Um, the two of them moved to London, and in the 10 years they were married, he allowed her to meet several influential psychologists and network, because although she was a teacher and he had just been a student and she had a doctorate, he was the one who had all the connections as a man. So through him, she was able to meet a lot of influential psychologists and ne- and like build a network of psychologists. And after living in London for a bit, she traveled to Africa to study mother-child bonds. Um, And while she was there, she was originally met with a language barrier, if you can imagine, but she learned to work the language to an extent that she could carry out a simple conversation. So she moved to Africa without speaking any of the native dialects, and um, eventually she learned enough of the language that she was able to, like, hold simple conversations. She said of her experience in Africa, it is a pity that one cannot require field work in another society of of a very aspiring investigator of child development. So um, obviously she thought it was like very helpful to her research. She thought it was important that people like study abroad and get experience in other cultures and everything. And I would agree with that. So after she came back from Africa, she was hired as a professor for John Hopkins University for Developmental Psychology. And she presented her findings there publicly for the first time. So even though she had been a teacher and everything. She had never like publicly presented her work. And she did for the first time at the Tavistock Mother Infant Interaction Study Group to a lukewarm response. So people, even though her work was literally revolutionary and studied widely today, and people were still like, eh, poor girl. Right? Yeah, that's kind of sad. And this response motivated her to create a catalog of behaviors that could be used to quantify attachment. And so because people were like, eh, she decided she was going to create this huge catalog showing like different sorts of interactions. And this is where we get attachment theory from. And like I said earlier, attachment theory is revolutionary. I think it's really super fascinating. So you should listen to episode 11. Um, but there are, she, she identified the four different types of attachment that we, um, that we use to categorize today. And that is anxious avoidant or insecure attachment, um, secure attachment, anxious resistant attachment, and disorganized slash disoriented attachment. And I'm going to get into what all of those mean and how they develop and how they manifest in one's life in episode 11. And again, it's super fascinating, so you should listen to it. Um, But she sounds neat. I remember you talking about attachment theory. With yeah, whenever I'm writing an episode, I talk about it a lot and everyone gets really annoyed with me. That's happening right now with my Model UN paper. I'm like, does anybody want to hear about Russia's stance on GMOs? And everyone's like, no, we already know Russia's stance on GMOs. Leave us, leave us alone. So, yeah, we do already know. We're just kind of boring, Ava. Yeah, so that's the response I get to my in- interests and passions in my household. <laughs> Maybe we had more interesting interests. My interests are very interesting. Do you guys want to hear about Russia's stance on GMOs? People like hearing about psychology warfare and uh, propaganda, yeah, actually. it's fun. That was a pretty popular uh, phase of mine. It's interesting. It's like, guys, did you know there's three different types of propaganda? Everyone's like, wait, what? That's so cool. Everyone knows what propaganda is. I didn't know what GMOs were until I, like, until I, 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 I like, kind of knew, but, like, our last person of the episode is Margaret Washburn. Do you want to guess where she's from? Washburn, America. Yeah, she's from America. 
Um, she was the first woman, well, the first American woman to earn a doctoral degree in psychology. Good for her. So if you remember Mary Calkins, she couldn't get one because, like, colleges weren't open to women. Um, but she was the first. She got a degree from Harvard in 1894. Cool. And she was the second woman to serve as the president of the American Psychological Association. Kate, who was the first? Mary Calkins. Good job. And she was the second woman to be named a fellow in the National Academy of Sciences. So when she was younger, people were worried that she didn't have many friends because she spent much of her time with either with adults or reading. Um, and she learned to read even before going to school, which allowed her to advance quicker than her peers. So she was like a gifted kid, um, a prodigy, reading at a fifth grade level and 12th grade. You know, the, you know the vibe. A fifth grade level and 12th grade? I mean, S.I. second kinda. grade. Reading at a 12th grade level in 5th grade, then. Let's say, you know the vibe. Um, yeah, those kids get on my nerves. Like, I can read such big, fancy books. I'm like, shut up. I'm still learning the alphabet. <laughs> um, she never married, but so she, that she could keep teaching, because married women were not allowed to be teachers. And she taught at Vassar College for 36 years. So that is some dedication. Anyway. She went to Vassar College herself, where she developed an interest in philosophy, poetry, psychology, and she joined a sorority as well called Kappa Alpha Theta. Kappa Alpha Theta. Like, what was the like fake a, sorority our friend fake? Was it a fraternity? What's the fake one they made up? It was Alpha Sigma Sigma because, <laughs> because was, the initials were ASS, and they thought that was really funny. When did they make this? Freshman year, I think. Sounds like the seventh grade behavior. <laughs> she told it to her friends. No, I feel like they'd agree with me. Um, and after she graduated Vassar College, she wanted to go to Columbia to study under James McKean Cattle. But Columbia had never admitted a female graduate student before, so she was only admitted as an auditor. And you'll notice a lot of the women on this list, I should say, had that problem where they weren't allowed to go to college because they were women. Sucks. Um... So after a year at Columbia, Cattle encouraged her to go to Cornell to get her PhD because um, she wouldn't have been able to get a doctorate degree at Columbia since she was only an auditor. And fun fact, her thesis, which was, if you if you know anything about a PhD, it's a thesis is a paper you have to write for a PhD. Um, it was translated and published by William Wendt, who we talked about earlier. And she also published some of his works in English. So they would like translate each other's works back and forth. So cute. Yeah. Um, she was a prolific researcher and writer, and she often brought her undergraduate students, who were all women, um, when she was a teacher, she only taught women in her under, her. yeah, into her lab to help with research, and she included them as authors on her paper to, like, give them a leg up in the Aww. world. She mainly contributed to animal behavior, as well as the beginnings of sensation and perception research, and we talked about sensation and perception in episode two. Mm-hmm. Um, she is particularly known for her work in the motor theory of development, but she is best known for her book, The Animal Mind, which is based off of experimental research in animal cognition, and it is the very first of its kind. So she was almost like an animal psychologist. Is that like Animal Farm, or is that different? Animal Farm was a satirical work by um, Orwell, I think. Oh, I don't usually read books that are I think it's a commentary on socialism. It's actually on my reading list. (laughs) Anyway, um, she popularized the theory, the idea that mental, not just behavioral events, are legitimate enough to study. 
And this went against the common belief that mental happenings were unobservable and therefore unreasonable to study in reference to psychology. So before her work, a lot of psychology was behavioral psychology, like why people act the way they do and what actions mean and how you can like predict the actions and, you know, like behavioral psychology. Yeah, we talk about it a lot. But she um, was the first person to really be like, no, you can study mental events as well. Which is um, a, which is a huge part of psychology today. So it's cool that she sort of popularized that idea. So she took inspiration from many schools of thought for psychology and contributed a lot to mo- to motor theory and animal consciousness. I'm is not going to talk about either. Like in cats and dogs. Yeah, I think so. Like the way they think. Maybe. But yeah, um, I'm not going to go into the details of animal consciousness or motor theory. Um. But they're both really interesting. I did a little bit of like precursory research. So preliminary. Preliminary. I think that's the same thing. But if anyone is interested in an episode on motor theory um, or animal consciousness, please DM me I'll or DM talk to you. me I in think person. I should talk about animal consciousness because I want to know if it has to do with cats. Okay, so look, look, keep a lookout for an episode on animal consciousness in the future then. And that is about, that's it, I think, we have for today. That is seven of the influential psychologists who sort of started psychology as we know it today. Yeah. So any final parting thoughts you wish to impart? Me? Yes. Um, not really. I mean, I'm really tired, so I like, can't really think of anything to say. There's nothing you want to say at all. It doesn't even have to be about the episode. Um, well, I just finished Sweet Home on Netflix, and it was based on the webtoons that I read, and they kind of, like, changed the plot up a lot, and I'm, like, kind of upset about it. Um, actually, I'm really upset about it, because the webtoons was very good, and they changed it a lot. Um, yeah, that's what I gotta say. Yeah, that's it. That's the episode. Thank you so much for listening, if you're not gonna listen to sites, and... I hope to see you guys soon, or I hope you hear me soon, I should say. Um, Yeah, enjoy your day, and however long there is between this episode and the next one, maybe a few days, maybe several months, time will tell. Anyway, goodbye. Say goodbye. Bye. Thank you for listening. My sites, our sites for this episode are online-psychology-degrees.org, wikipedia.com, and apa.org. So those, those are the sites for this episode. Um, thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you soon. Bye. Bye. Okay, wait, not to cut you off, but your eyes look like green right now, and it's kind of freaking me out. My eyes are brown, like, but they're also hazel. No, no, look at me. No, they're green right now. Oh, that's so weird. Oh, gee, I should do that TikTok trend. <laughs> I no, totally so get weird. made fun of. They look more like like our father's eyes. Are they changing? My eyes have gotten lighter. Yeah, like I it actually that. made that's me really so sad. Weird. Oh my gosh, my phone they is over there. But you so know that dark. TikTok trend where you like take a video of your eye with the flash mm-hmm. and like the back camera. Mm-hmm. I did that, and my eyes did not look like what I thought they looked no, like. No, mine either. I'm like, oh, I have such dark brown eyes. They're like almost black. And I look at them and I'm like, oh, what is that? <laughs> I'm like, my eyes are hazel. What question mark? It's freaking me out because you're looking at me like, those are not my sister's eyes. (laughs) Who are you? What have you done with my sister?